Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Get to Coastal Community Church. My name is Ryan. I am the youth pastor, and I get the privilege of speaking to you this morning. We are in week five of our uh, At the Movie series. It's actually the last week. Um, that we're going to be doing this series. Normally it would be a little bit longer, but um, like we heard mentioned before, we are starting a new series next week, a new kind of little mini-series, and uh, it's called Undivided. And it's actually a bunch of churches all over Charleston that are kind of joining together um, to do this series together. Uh, It's going to be uh, powerful, impactful. Um, It's really a series on uniting Charleston uh, through gospel-centered reconciliation. Um, So you're not going to want to miss that. Uh, It is going to be awesome. Um, But like you just saw this week, our movie is Call of the Wild. Um, And if you watched a little pre-show thing that we do before the service, Pastor Chris basically stole like 90% of my intro. Um, But uh, for those that also don't know, the movie is uh, based on the novel written by Jack London um, in 1903. So it is an older book. Uh, but it has been, you know, republished, uh, made into different shows and movies throughout the years. Um, but this is obviously a newer one, uh, stars Harrison Ford, along with some other big name uh, actors. And personally, I remember reading the book uh, for the first time in school. I can't remember exactly uh, when it was, but I did read it at some point in my academic career, probably middle or high school. Uh, But now I'm seeing the movie coming out. Um, It was actually released in February, so it was kind of recent. And uh, so here's my thought process, right? I remember having read the book um, and thinking, you know, in school, oh, I liked it because it wasn't one of those books where you had to, like, I don't know if you remember doing this in school, like, you know, annotate it and break it down, and teacher wants to see, like, reports of what you read and things you highlighted, and I remember that being just so horrible. And we didn't have to do that for this book for some reason, right? So I remember having just a really good correlation with it uh, in my mind. Um, so I have those, those they're faint memories, but they are good. And now what I don't really remember is all of what happened in the storyline, in the movie or in the book. And um, so again, for those that don't know me too well, I do have a background in animal science. I've always worked with animals, taken care of animals, had dogs my whole life, worked with horses for some of, you know, after I got out of college, you know, training them and working with them. So I've always been a really big animal person. And so seeing movies where the animal gets... Um, you know, beaten up or abandoned or really just to be made unhappy in any way doesn't work for me, right? I do not like those movies at all. Even like, you know, childhood movies that did, you know, like when Mufasa dies in Lion King or Bambi's mom and, and you know, Bambi or, you know, one that really got me when I was a kid, you may not uh, know, it's kind of a little known one, uh, when Littlefoot's mom dies in uh, Land Before Times. I don't know if you saw that one, that one gets me every time. But like, I, I just can't do it. All these Disney movies, my daughter, you know, that's all she watches now. But I just can't do it. Like, I'm one of those people that you can, you can kill any person at any time throughout the movie, the show, whatever it is, but don't touch the animal, right? That's the point where you lose me. Even newer movies, right? Like, I Am Legend at the end when the dog dies, spoiler alert, right? Or uh, John Wick. I, thought that was, I was really excited for those movies until the puppy dies right at the beginning, right? Just, I just can't do any of those movies. And if you did watch that show, you saw Pastor Chris talked about how, I don't know, I, I keep getting in these situations. Like, last year at our At The Movie series, I got Dumbo is the movie I was preaching on, right? And, and not only, like, not the older Dumbo, but the new one where they make the animals talk, right? And so when, you know, Dumbo's, I, I, honestly, I didn't watch it. I just, I told about I wasn't gonna be able to watch it. Um, you know, when Dumbo gets bullied and is, gets separated from his mom and, and, you know, and, and again, they're talking, so it just makes it that much worse. So, so I just can't do it. And, and this is the dilemma I got myself in again with this Call of the Wild movie, right? Like, I, I remember the book being so good, 
And then I started watching the movie, and I don't know in a span of how long it took, but the dog, you know, he was this, you know, nice dog at his home in California. He gets kidnapped and beaten and sold as a sled dog, right? He finally meets someone that, that he likes, and then he ends up getting beaten up by, like, the mean uh, dog leader of the pack, gets sold again to another not-so-nice guy, worked to exhaustion. Like, if I wasn't preaching on this movie, no way I could have gotten through it. I, it just, it's just not my kind of movie when it comes to that. But... And if you're not like me, and, and you can handle all of that stuff, and it was a CG dog, by the way, so that made it a lot easier. Right? But, it, but it, besides that, it is a good movie. Right? Stuff you know we're near as bad as, you know, I probably make it out to be. Um, but having gone down that long rant just to, you know, to get here, the whole point of the movie is that Buck, he is our, he, our main character, a dog, he goes from being this gentle, domesticated house pet uh, in California to this rough and tumble, you know, like wolf dog out in the wild. He experienced, like the title of the movie says, the call of the wild. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it yet, at the end of the movie, he is trying to decide between a life with his domesticated owner, you know, who he loves, or going off to live with his wolf girlfriend in the wild. Right, so he has this choice to make on which path, you know, to go, which way, uh, which direction to go with his life. And that got me thinking. I think if you polled like a thousand pastors and you asked them all, you know, what's, what's the most popular question you get asked from people within your church? I think it might have something to do with, with that idea right there. It's that question, you know, what do you think God wants me to do? What do you think God's will for my life is? Or, or what career do you think he wants me to have? You know, which big life-altering decision does he want me to make? Which direction does he want me to go in? I think we, you know, we deal with these questions all the time. Right, with every big decision, we, you know, we overanalyze, we overthink, and not even just the big ones, like the small ones. We, we freak out not knowing which decision to make, how it's going to affect us and the people around us. And why do you think we freak out? Because like, I have a little bit of a theory on why we freak out all the time for every little decision. And I think it's because that we know we are crappy decision makers. Right? Either we have a history of not making good decisions, Right? Or we just know as sinful humans, we don't make the best decisions. Right? And where we are now in our life really is a, you know, where any of us are is a reflection of the decisions that we have made over the past, I don't know, you know week, year, however long it was. Right? And, and then even the, you know, where we end up over the next year is based on the decisions that we make now, this week, you know, tomorrow, this week, next month, next year, whatever, whatever it is. The decisions that we make determine where we will end up. And that's freaky for some of us because we realize that if we keep making the same decisions, next year maybe won't look that great, right? And we may not move forward like we want to. Right? It doesn't even have to be a bad decision. You know, maybe we have made some decent decisions in our lives. Right? We have made decisions where we can look back and go, maybe that wasn't so bad, but now we don't want to go backwards, right? We don't want to go the wrong direction. We don't know, you know, which decision or which direction will keep pushing us forward. I think a lot of us deal with that. And in either way, you know, we've all made decisions that we regret. We've all made, you know, decisions that, again, we look back on and go, maybe that wasn't the worst thing I could have done. But we know that we still have more important decisions to make in our life. And we just want it to be easy, right? Why can't, why can't, why can't decisions just be easy to make? Right? Why can't there just be a roadmap or a blueprint or some signs? Like signs. We all want a sign, right? God, just give me a sign. Show me what to do. 
We all want some kind of I don't know, like the divine intervention to just show up in one way or another. For, for most of us, you know, God could slap a, I don't know, a flashing red stop sign looking thing right in front of us that tells us exactly which direction to go or which decision to make. And we would peek around it and go, nope, still don't see a sign. Right? I still, I still don't know what God wants me to do. Or how about the excuse, you know, it's not, you know, oh, I don't see a sign. But how about there are just too many choices? That's a big one, right? That's not actually the one that gets me. There are just too many options to choose from. In my household right now, we're uh, actually looking at getting a new vehicle, and we're looking at trucks, and I'm super excited about it. Uh, but I've been looking at trucks for probably six months now, and I'm no closer to making a decision than when I started. Right? Every time we see one, it's like, oh, that's, I like it. Gracie likes it. You know, it's not the worst price ever. In my mind, I'm like, well, do, is that what I actually want? Does this other dealership have a better one? Am I going to find one better in a week? Do I actually need to spend that much money? And then we basically just talk ourselves out of, by the time we make a decision, you know, the truck's gone. There's just too many choices, I feel like. You know, and, and how about this one? This one that really is in my household as well. Uh, Netflix, right? You got to be honest. How much, do you spend more time watching a show on Netflix, or do you spend more time flipping through Netflix trying to figure out what to watch? right? And my household is definitely the, the second one, always trying to flip through. And, and it's not even Netflix now, right? There's so many options for that. There's Hulu, there's Disney Plus, there's Amazon Prime, HBO Max, Apple TV Plus, right? So many choices. And I know I'm just making a joke, you know, about these different things, but the idea behind it is serious, right? This, I believe, applies to, to very serious parts of our life, Again, what does God want me to do? You know, where does he want me to go? Which direction does he want me, you know, which path should I take? And for a lot of us, when we, when we talk about which direction does God want us to go, we're talking about a career, right? A career path. What job does, does God want me to take? You know, what career path does he want me to take? And I think this is what a lot of those pastors that get those questions, this is kind of what they're having to, you know, help these people uh, determine. And I think another big problem, you know, with, with trying to navigate that career path, that job road, uh, is kind of, it's not too uh, unsimilar than the Netflix and the truck thing. And now, so for me, I come obviously a little bit younger generation, but I think there's a difference in this younger and older generations. Like when, you, when in an older generation, you know, you graduate high school and you can go to college, you could not go to college. But at that point, it was like, whatever you do, you just have to get a job. I get a job that, that pays your bills, uh, that provides for your family, and then it gives you a little bit left over to stick into a jar at the end of the day. Right? Whatever you do, just get a job that can do those couple of things. And that's just not really how it works nowadays. And nowadays there's this whole idea that a, a career or a job it has to do so much more. Right? And I'm not saying that's wrong in, in any way. But I do think it seems to be a significant uh, contributing factor to the indecisiveness. Right? So nowadays, you know, you, you go to college, kid graduates from high school, goes to college, and they major in some know, like abstract sociological degree, right? And then they come out at 21 or 22 or 23, and you're supposed to have your whole life figured out. You're supposed to find your career, your life career right then. And this career has to be something that you love, right? It has to be something that you, you love doing. You have to be passionate about it. It has to make a difference in this world, right? It can't be just for some company putting money in a CEO's pocket, right? You can't be a sellout. And then it also has to pay you a ton of money, right? Like just a ton of money. 
so that you can buy, you know, your two cars and your house and a subscription to whatever TV, you know, subscription you want. And so you can vacation twice a year wherever you want. And you have to do all of those things or you're a failure. In your 20s and your 30s, you're a failure, it seems like, nowadays, if that's not your life. And so what happens is most people don't live up to that. Right? And then there is a sense of failure and in turn indecisiveness because they don't want to be a failure. Right? They don't want a job that doesn't accomplish all of those things. You can love it, but if it doesn't pay, that's not going to work. Or it can pay, but if you don't enjoy doing it every single day, that's not going to work either. Right? And so what happens is we just end up not even making a decision because we're too scared to make an imperfect decision. And again, because we're so afraid, we don't make a decision, and, and sadly, that just makes it worse. And this is for, any, again, any situation, not even just a job, relationships, uh, financial decisions, parenting decisions, whatever it is, we're too scared to make a decision, to make the wrong decision, that we in turn don't make any decision. But I truly believe, you know, sometimes making those uh, uncomfortable decisions, they're a part of the plan. Sometimes we have to make a decision, say, for our career that doesn't exactly line up with all three of these things so that something much greater can come along uh, a little bit later. Sometimes we have to sacrifice now so that the better can come in the future. And so I think the question becomes, how do we know what those sacrifices need to be? How do we know what the good and the bad is now or, or what the good is we're looking for in the future? How do we do that without seeing, you know, having some easily seen divine intervention? Because I think a lot of us have the notion that it's supposed to be easy. You know, your path is supposed to become clear once you start following God, once you become a Christian. You know, if only it didn't work that way, we'd, we'd be great. But there is no clear map in our life, you know, decision-making process. And so in our time left, I do want to try and help out, uh, just help you maybe through the process of making these big decisions by looking at one of the greatest Christians in the Bible and how he did it. And then we can determine what decisions God does want us to make, uh, but even better yet, what he actually cares about in the decision-making process. Right, so I want to look at a passage in Acts chapter 20, and this is the Apostle Paul talking. And remember, before he became Paul, you know, the great Christian preacher, he was Paul, the Christian killer. Right, but this is a little later on after his conversion. This is Paul addressing the elders at a church in Ephesus. And I think it gives a pretty clear or solid guide right, on what to expect in the decision-making process because he's going through the same exact thing. So looking at Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 22, it says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city... The Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Right? It's good stuff. And now you may not you know, see it when you first read this passage. I really, honestly, I didn't too much the first time either, but I really think there are about four different uh, kind of milestones in this passage that will serve as uh, consistent sticking points in one's decision-making process. And so let's look at it, because I really think it, it can not only help us in knowing how to go about making the decisions, but it really can help but lead us down uh, the right path for where God wants us to be. 
And so the first thing that's going to happen when you are, you know, in this progression towards uh, making a decision, it's a prompting. We are going to be prompted by God. That's the first thing that's going to happen in this decision-making process. When it is time to make a change, to go in a different direction, to take the next step, we are going to be prompted by God. If you look back at the passage, Paul says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. Right? Compelled by the Spirit. Paul says he was compelled by the Spirit. Sad thing is nowadays you go and try and make some big life decision. You tell somebody you were compelled by the Spirit, you're going to get a lot of weird looks. Right? Or really what's more likely to happen is that we're going to feel some urge or, or desire to make something happen in our life, to change something or, or whatever it is. But we're not going to recognize it as God. We're not going to recognize it as a prompting of the Spirit. And at that point, we've already set ourselves up to make the wrong decision, to make the wrong move. But when there is a move that is to be made, that is according to God's will, you can rest assured that we will be prompted by him. He will prompt us to move in that direction. And so that's the first thing that's going to happen. Right? The second thing that's going to happen, and unfortunately it doesn't sound super helpful, right? but we are going to be confused. second thing that's going to happen is we are going to be confused. If you look back at the passage, again, Paul says, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, And then he says, not knowing what will happen to me there. Not knowing what will happen to me there. So the Apostle Paul is heading over to Jerusalem, and he has no idea what is going to happen. He has no idea where he's going to sleep, no idea where he's going to eat, what he is going to do. Right? He was compelled by the Spirit. So he says, I'm going to this place, and I have no idea what's going down when I get there. Right? Being honest, uh, that, that, that doesn't really work for a lot of us, Right? Right? I, I, at least I would want to know some details. Right? If I'm going to Jerusalem, I want to know how long it's going to take me. How am I getting there? Where am I staying when I get there? And I've got to see like, at least 10 reviews right, to make sure everything's you know, copacetic with where I'm staying. I feel like I would want to know what restaurants or free time activities are nearby. Right? I definitely would want to know what my purpose in being there is. We want details. Right? We want details of what's going to happen in our lives. But the scary thing is, I truly believe if God did show us the details of what was going to happen, right, what was going to happen on this journey that is our life, most of us would never even take the first step. I think about it. There there have been, I know there have been things in your life where you've had to sacrifice for. You've had to work really hard for. You've had to overcome hardships and things in your life, right, to make happen. Things like, uh, I don't know, like a business or a certain relationship or a parenting, whatever it is, there are things that you've had to sacrifice for. And now in retrospect, right, you get to look back on it and you get to, you know, enjoy the, the benefits, enjoy the destination, you know, with the, the perspective of, you know, seeing the end before, after you get to do it. Like you've done it, you've experienced it, you, you now you're at the destination, you're enjoying it, you get to look back and say, well, that wasn't so bad because now I'm here. Right? Imagine if, if God showed you everything that was going to happen, all the sacrifice, all the things you had to overcome before you got to enjoy the benefits. Right? Most of us would, again, never take that first step. We would never actually move towards that goal. Right? God doesn't give us all the details because, one, we can't handle the details, but, two, because also that's faith. 
right? Uncertainty, you know, trust is a part of a relationship with Jesus Christ that is built on faith in him. And as uncomfortable, you know, as it is at certain times, we get to know that, that he is faithful and he is always working for our good. And so now, back in our passage, we, we've been prompted. Right? We, are, we are thoroughly confused. We have no idea what's going on. You would think that would be enough, but no. Paul says, he keeps going and says, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Right, we've been prompted, we're confused, we think we're maybe in the clear, but no. Not only are we going to be confused, but now we're going to face hardships. The third thing is that we are going to face hardships when we are trying to make these decisions for Christ. Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm not really sure what's going on there. The only thing I do know is that I'm going to face some struggles, and I'm probably going to be imprisoned. My prison may be not involved in, in our process, uh, which, side note, think about how much easier it is just to share your faith nowadays. Right? Just like God calls all of us to share our faith in our workplace or whatever it is, he called people back then to do the same thing. Just then, instead of getting the dirty looks that we do now, you'd have been thrown straight in prison or beheaded. Right? That's how much easier it is nowadays. But Paul says we are going to face obstacles. So, you know, you're living your life, and God, God wants you to go down a certain direction in your life. He's going to prompt us. We're not really going to know why or how. The only thing we do know is that it's not going to be easy. Right? We know that it's going to be hard. Getting to where God wants you to be, it's just not going to be easy. And I think that scares a lot of people off. Right? But here's the thing. If you are not ready to face those hardships, then just to be perfectly honest, you're not ready to be used by God. And that's just the truth. Right? God calls his people to be a light to the earth, to stand out among the things of this world. And those are the people that are going to face the hardest tests, the most obstacles. You know, and so when God calls us into a different area of life or a different season or a different direction, you can bet Satan will be there doing everything he can to get you off of that path. Right? To make it as hard as possible for you to actually get to where God wants you to be. And it might even not be in some, like, you know, life-changing, horrible, horrible hardship. It might even just be in the form of, you know, having to do things that we don't want to do. Right? Just, again, relating it back to a more practical standpoint for us, talking about careers and jobs. If you look at it, the devil is great at, you know, just subtly challenging us. Right? You look at Paul, remember, it definitely wasn't easy for him here. Again, before he finds Christ and before he, you know, before he becomes the Apostle Paul, he was Saul, you know, this Christian killer. And so then he gives his life over to Christ. And now he is trying to preach to these same people he was just trying to kill. Right? But you've got to see the picture. Like, this is the calling that Paul has on his life. He knows it now. Like, he knows what he's doing, what his purpose is. And so, you know, just months before he was trying to kill these people, now he's walking up to them saying, let me, let me preach to you about love and mercy and grace. Let me tell you how that went over, right? Not well at all. And so what did he do along this, you know, this journey? He had to pay the bills, right? So what did Paul do? He made tents. He was a tent maker, right? Paul had to make tents to pay the bills so that he could later on do what he was called to do by God. Maybe that applies to you this morning. And now I know I'm not probably doing a great job of encouraging you this morning, 
But the truth is, living a life according to God's will is not going to be simple. We're going to be confused. We're going to face hardships. But here's the thing that can get us through all of it. The last thing we see in this passage in Acts. It says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So here it is. We have a confidence in Jesus Christ. The last thing we're going to see in our decision-making process is that we get to have a confidence in Jesus Christ. Paul said, I consider my life worth nothing to me, and my only aim, my only goal in life is to complete the task given to me by my loving Father, that of telling every single person how much God loves them. Right? This man said, I'm going to be prompted by the Spirit to go here. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure how. I do know that I will probably be rejected and beaten and imprisoned, but it doesn't matter because I am confident in my Heavenly Father and the plan that He has for me in my life. So he's saying, no matter what I face, no matter how hard the decision is, I'm going to work, I'm going to serve, I'm going to give, you know, like everything I have today in order to be the person God wants me to be. He's showing here that the circumstances don't have to be perfect. The situation doesn't have to match every single one of our criteria. We don't have to know all of the details. We don't even have to know how we're going to, you know, overcome the obstacles that we are destined to face. Because it's not about me. My life is about glorifying God and saving the lives of others. And recognizing that it isn't about me, first of all, is how we can go down the direction and the path that God wants for us. So now Paul gives us these steps. He shows us, well, you know, the things that are going to happen that we're going to experience when we begin to live for, you know, and make life decisions for Christ. But none of this really matters if you don't understand the steps or even notice what is going on. If you don't notice that we are being prompted and understand what it means for your life specifically. But what's really cool, right, what's amazing is what God does with us and how he enables us to get to the destinations that he wants, that he has for us, but yet still make the decisions for ourselves. You know, we see it countless times in the Bible. God doesn't just show us what to do. He doesn't just lay out the step-by-step blueprint. Instead, he empowers us with the wisdom to decide and a wisdom that can only come from him. Proverbs 4, 7 says, getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. A quick backstory here. There was a king. His name was King Solomon. Uh, When he became king, he was supposed to give an offering, a sacrificial offering to God. And instead of doing just a normal little offering, he went above and beyond, did this great, you know, monumental sacrifice to God. And God was so moved by it, moved by his generosity. He said, you know, Solomon, if I could give you one thing, what would it be? And instead of the normal things that we would wish for, you know, power and wealth and whatever else, you know, it is that you would want, King Solomon says, I want wisdom to be a good king. And so God says, you know, Solomon, you asked for wisdom, and because you didn't ask for all these other crazy things, I'm going to give you wisdom, but I'm also going to give you all the other crazy things too. Because God was moved by his generosity. And so this is what he wrote about it. This is what Solomon said after having experienced that. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do, and whatever else you do, develop good judgment. Wisdom is key. Wisdom is key to knowing how to react 
during the process when we are confused, when we are facing hardships. And I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive, right? Having wisdom but being confused, but that's how God wants it. And by that, I mean, you know, he wants to give us the wisdom to then be able to handle the hard and confusing times. Right? Too often we just ask God, you know, just, just show me what to do. You know, we have a decision to make, a fork in the rod, a fork in the road. God, just show me what to do. I'm confused. And God says, I'm not going to show you what to do, but I'm going to give you the wisdom to be able to figure it out. And again, what's, what's also cool about this wisdom, you know, it's even better than just showing us the right way. Right? If we had a decision to make, and every time we had a decision, you know, we said, God, I don't know which way to go, left or right, and he said right, and we went right, and it worked out well. And every time that happened, we would never grow. We would never be able to discern for ourselves, which is what God ultimately wants. Right? He wants us to grow into the people that he designed us to be more than he wants us to travel down the path that we think he has laid out for us. Does that make sense? Right? God cares more about who you are than what you are going to do. God cares more about who you are than what you're going to do. God cares more about the person you are than what decisions that you make in the moment. There's a verse in the Bible, it's not on the screen, that kind of sums it up. It's 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. It said, God's will for you is to be holy. Right? In the context of this verse, he's talking a little bit more specifically about uh, sexual immorality. But it says clearly God's will for you, the way you act, the person you are to be is holy. Right? You are to be holy, to be set apart, to not look like this world, to not be just another good person doing seemingly good things. Right? But to be this person who is holy and sanctified and set apart not only by the things you do, but more importantly, by the person you are. And now again, I know that you, know, you say that that all sounds good, but that doesn't help me you know, choose which job to take. It does, though. Right? It shows you what's important. It's funny, if you, if you look throughout the Bible, right, you don't really see God, Jesus talk much about vocational careers. Right? He doesn't really talk much about people's you know, nine to fives. Instead, he talks about their character and their calling. Right? Really, if you look at it, if you really break it down, the only time he's actually really talking about a vocational career is when he's inviting people out of it. When he's saying, you know, leave that career and come and follow me. You know, what you are following is more important than what you are doing. And so instead of saying, which job should I take? Which career path should I take? Which, which house should I buy? Which car should I buy? Which investment should I make? You know, instead we can say, who does God want me to be? Or who does God want me to become? This will lead you to the right job. This will lead you into the right decision, you know, about that car, that house, that investment, that parenting decision, whatever it is. Right? Because ultimately our identity is not wrapped up into the things that we have or the job that we do. Right? Your job is what you do, not who you are. Your job is what you do, not who you are, no matter how great you are at it. Right? People get confused with that. No matter how amazing you are at your job, no matter how much attention it gets you or recognition it gets you, God would rather you do anything else than the job you are currently doing if you cannot do it with integrity and a heart full of him. So what does that look like for you? You know, where should I work? That's the question. It doesn't matter where you work. Just be the shining example of a Jesus person at that place. And that's for any stage, right? I was thinking about, I'm a youth pastor, just seniors thinking about college, you know, thinking about, you know, what major should I have or whatever it is. You know, it doesn't matter. 
When it comes to who God wants you to be, it doesn't matter what you study for four years. Just do whatever you do for the glory of God. And that's anybody. Every business, financial, parenting, family, relational decision you make, do so with the goal of glorifying God. Because just like God cares more about who you are than the things you do, God also cares more about why you do the things you do, right? God cares more about why you do things than what you do. Motives matter to God. Proverbs 16.2 says, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. So when making these decisions, consider your motives. How about this? When telling people about them after you make them, consider your motives for that as well. Like not only why are you making the decisions that you are, but also why are you telling other people about it? I didn't need another honest answer this morning. How often do you think your motives are centered around what you want versus what God wants? Right? Sadly, for all of us, it's, it's probably heavily skewed towards the us end of the spectrum. Right? But it's almost impossible to get to the right place when you have the wrong motives. Motives matter to God. Who you are matters to God. The job you do from nine to five really doesn't matter. So whatever job, you know, whatever in your eyes uh, may be stupid or meaningless job you have, do it for the glory of God. Whatever decision you make, do it for the glory of God. Uh, we have to know what our, or we have to know and understand, you know, the purpose and the mission put on our lives. The reason we are here, we have to understand that in order to know the path and direction that God wants us to take. And honestly, we see no better example of that than Jesus Christ himself. Jesus knew why he was here. He knew who he was and why he was here, and that's why he was able to do what he did. That's why he was able to live a perfect life and die a horrific death up on that cross to take the weight of our sins. And it's no different for us. Right, to follow along with God's will, we have to both know and understand what God cares about because God's will is based more on someone than something. And that is truly against everything this world teaches us. But the Apostle Paul shows us when you get the who and the why right, the what to do will often fall right into place. And so the question is, what is God prompting you into today? What is he calling you into or even what part of your life is he calling you out of? What confusing, difficult next step is he calling you to take? We all have one. And I just want to encourage you this morning. Don't be, don't be afraid. Don't be too scared to take the first step. We have to accept that, that we don't know everything. And in spite of not knowing everything, in spite of not knowing all the details, we just have to take the first step. We have to not be so afraid of leaving the security of what we know that we don't start down the path that you're supposed to be on. And so let's pray for that this morning. Pray with me. Father God, we just thank you um, for this life that you give us. God, we thank you for this day and this ability to come here and worship you and, and join other Christ-believing uh, people and just lift your name this morning. God, when it comes to the, you know, just the everyday decisions that we make in our life, whether big or small, God, just help us to look to you. Help us to look to you and to, to utilize the wisdom that you, that you give us. And just help us to know that most likely we're not going to see a giant sign telling us which direction to go. We're not going to have a blueprint or a map. 
We may not see this, you know, giant 20-foot Jesus is telling us, pointing us in a direction. God, just help us remember that you are always working for us and your will for our life is great and better than anything we could, you know, comprehend or know. So just help us to keep that in the forefront of our minds and not be too scared to, to venture out down a path that we truly feel we are being prompted to go down by you. Give us the wisdom to, to discern and separate what is of your will and what is of this world. Help us to look to you for that wisdom, God, and, and just utilize it in every single way that we can to not rely on our own wisdom, our own strength, our own understanding, but just that that you give us. And just thank you for the ability to do that, God. And I'm sure there are some people here this morning that, you know, haven't been able to experience that wisdom and that strength and relying on you because they either didn't know you or just weren't ready to make that decision. And so I just pray if that is, you know, someone here this morning, they can just pray. They can pray this and say, Father God, I am ready to lean into you and to your wisdom and all the things that you, you know, have planned for my life. And I've tried my way and it just didn't really work out so well. So now uh, I recognize that you are the author of my life, the, the king of my heart, and I just, I want to live the life that you have planned for me. So God, just help us to all have that same faith in you that no matter what uncertain times come, we can rely on you and your plan for our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.